Welcome to the Gotham Sports Report Podcast on 89.1 FM WNYU. Here are your hosts, Jack Dweck, Joe Kurtz, and Morris Zarif. Hello and welcome to Gotham Sports Report. I'm Jack H. Dweck, along with Joe Kurtz, and we're very happy to have Mars Zarif back with us this week. So last night um, was the first time that we really saw what these nets could be. Because, see if you can follow my logic here, guys. Last night, the nets were not on their game. They were not shooting well. Um I believe they shot about 40%. They could not, especially in the first half. They went one for 13 from three. They were not at their best last night. And yet they still managed to pull off a victory that seemed easy by the end of that game. They were not at their best, and they still made it look like the Celtics did not belong in the same gym as them in that uh, that third and fourth quarter. That's a team that you know is going to be exciting for the rest of these playoffs. The team where they're at their worst. That's the worst that the Nets are going to play offensively. They could not get worse offensively than they were last night. And yet they still managed to win. That's how you know that they're so much more talented than any of these teams in the East. It was not a chance last night. I agree with that. And I think the story about this game was twofold. Besides for the Nets starting off terribly offensively, they were really able to stay in the game. They were only down by like six at halftime, and their defense literally kept them in the game. Jason Tatum, who is the Celtics' best player, he was not able to buy a shot after the first quarter. I think he only hit like five field goals for the entire game. And the other story of this game is the fact that the Celtics just simply don't belong on the court with the Nets. They're a much better team. Even at the Nets' worst, they're, they're, it's not even a competition. The Nets are able to blow out these teams – without even being able to score. Kevin Durant missed like 10 shots in a row in the first quarter. They couldn't hit one three. They didn't hit a three until midway through the second quarter. It was a ridiculous showing, but they were still in the game. I'm going to give you guys a couple of stats. I'm sorry to interrupt, Jack. No problem. The Nets shot 23% from three. They shot 41% from the field, and they still managed to win by 11. And their defense was clearly the the leaders in this game. I'm not worried about the Nets offense at all. It's obviously, it's only, it's might be the 10th time this season that Durant, Kyrie and Harden have played together. So it's going to obviously take, it's going to be a work in progress no matter what, but it's, I'm not so worried about it. I am not worried about it at all. If you look at we talked about this constantly throughout the whole year, it was a theme with the Nets defense. And we said that we were concerned about the Nets defense. But then when we looked at the end of the games, especially in close games at the end of the season, when we looked at those close games, we saw that the Nets could play lockdown. They could lock down teams in the, in the end of the fourth quarter or when the game's on the line. Well, now it's the playoffs. Every game, every game is important, right? Second half of all these games are important. So you see the Nets playing lockdown defense throughout these games. You're going to see that intensity that they had in the regular season, which let, let's be real. They didn't care about the regular season. So take that intensity that they had those last two minutes of intensity that they used in the regular season, bring that out in the playoffs. And you're going to see a result that you had last night. 
limiting the Celtics to under 100 points, limiting them to 39% shooting, that's great defense. And if you could have the Nets stars play lockdown defense the whole game because it's intense and it's the playoffs, that's what we're going to continue to see from the Nets. I don't think the defense, un- until they play really great big men like Joel Embiid, I don't think it's going to be a problem. No, so one scare for me looking at the offense, obviously I still think it's me. It's not an issue. Joe Harris cannot be taking only six threes. He's the league's best three-point shooter, and he's been a guy who's been a catalyst the whole season. He's a guy who needs to get the rock in his hands as often as possible to shoot those threes. Obviously, in a lineup with KD, Kyrie, and Harden, it's not that easy, but they still need to find, need to find ways to get the ball in his hands. They were going too much iso ball last night, to my liking. Obviously, with three iso ball heavy players, but still, they need to find ways to get guys like Joe Harris, even guys like Landry Shamit, guys getting get those guys going. Yeah, for once, I agree with Morris on that. It just seemed like in the first quarter that Kevin Durant and Kyrie would, and a little James Harden were just forcing shots just to get their rhythm going. But, but and then I'd when like they to start the scoring, it, it works that, out because then they double-team them and then they leave Harris open. Exactly. That, that's what I like. You need to get these hands going. But I also like the ball movement because when we were at our best, James Harden facilitating the rocket, passing the ball around to all the other side pieces on the team and making everyone else score. And that wasn't really a team of last night where they, they weren't really trying to pass the ball around. The thing I liked about it is that you need to have Kevin Durant hot. You need to get him going. And if this is the way to get him going by letting him take a billion shots, and that's the way you have to go about it. And if you have to sacrifice Joe Harrison, you have to sacrifice him. I 100% agree. And just, right. Like so you mentioned, Jack, though, there's no issue with the big man. This this should be a walkthrough, an easy walkthrough for them. The only time I'm going to be scared for them is even when they play Giannis or Embiid. So, obviously, it's just something to keep an eye on for the rest of the postseason. Yeah, it's kind of a, a little nervous thing for me, the way that the Nets play last night, the fact that they only got the second seed. Because if they got the first seed, they wouldn't have to see any of these teams until, until the Easter Conference Finals. They'd be playing either the Knicks or the Hawks. Right, but then they're going to have to play these teams eventually. So they're going to have to play, even if they get through the Knicks or the Hawks, even if they had the easy they season, the they would have to play the 76ers. They would have to play a team saying, like the Bucks. either way. You can't avoid it. You're saying theoretically. Yeah, right? theoretically, if all, yeah, theoretically, if all the good teams win, all the favorites win, the Nets are going to have to play the Bucks, And then if the Nets win again, they'd have to play the Sixers. It's just, wouldn't you rather have to just play the, um, what's it called, the, who the Sixers playing right now? Um, wouldn't you rather have to play next round the Knicks or the Hawks and then play the and then play the Sixers or Bucks? We mentioned this issue during the season, guys. We said that resting their players would obviously lead to them getting a two seed, and then it obviously hurt in the playoffs. But they obviously obviously don't think that it would be much an issue, be such an issue because they do have three of the best. Uh, let's really they have three of the best four players on any given court at all times. Fact. So. It's not such an uh, – they don't think it's such an issue. And I honestly – I'd rather the team, because they still have to gel together with the three – with the big three playing together. I'd rather them be playing against better competition. The, the Nets, even if the Celtics are better than who the 76ers are playing, but let's say they're better than the Knicks. I don't think so. Let's say they're better than the Knicks. I'd rather the Nets be beating better teams. I'd rather them be beating better teams earlier on so that when there's games like last night, they could get that out of the way 
against better teams and they're not just coasting through the playoffs when they're not trying it rather than be trying it rather than have to have to show lockdown defense. That's what I want to see out of this team. But let's move on tonight. Sunday night is going to be the first time. The first time that we have seen the Knicks in the playoffs since 2013. What are you guys expecting out of them tonight? I'm expecting defense. I don't, I'm not worried about the offense. I'm expecting defense. They took the season series against Atlanta Hawks handily 3-0, but you can't really say much from those matchups because the Hawks do not have DeAndre Hunter. But I'm expecting a lot of defense because I've said this time and time again. Offense doesn't travel into the postseason. Defense does. Defense will – defense wins championships, plain and simple. The fact that Thibodeau has have, had these guys playing – thousand percent each minute on the court is really hats off to him he's gonna be second in the year second in the, he's gonna be the runner up for the coach of the year behind monty williams but he still has had a wonderful season coaching these knicks and i'm expecting a lot of defense tonight and the garden crown will be hyped which is i'm very excited for it yeah the way i look at it is that these two teams are opposites in my mind the knicks are more of a defensive team and the hawks are more of an offensive team so the key to this game for the Knicks is really just stopping stopping them from shooting a well percentage because the Knicks, they're not going to be able – at their best, they're not as good of an offensive team. But if they're able to limit Trey Young and they're able to limit the three, they should be able to win this game. The crowd will be on their side, and I know that's a big factor for the Knicks because MSG will get hyped, like Mara said. Um, another thing I'm looking at is the fact that both teams are just relatively inexperienced in the playoffs. So I think the defense will travel a lot more into – playoffs for the Knicks and the offense will for the Hawks. And that, that'll be the key to the game. Yeah, 100%. I think that this is one of those games. Like, if you guys remember the Cubs versus Mets, which is the the Mets starting pitching versus the Cubs lineup and just a difference in philosophies, right? How do you grow your team? Do you grow your team defensively or do you grow your team Based on offense, based it's on the most amount of points as possible. We saw it in the Super Bowl with right. the Chiefs and Bucks. Saw it in that Super Bowl. We saw it with the Seahawks and the Broncos back in 2014 or 2013, I believe. We've seen it time and time again. And you know what? Defense always comes into play and always really it's defense that travels because the offense, it becomes more of a half-court offense during the postseason because the pace of play gets slower. And you know what? The Knicks end up having a more advantage in my opinion, especially with the way their offense has turned out. And if the pace of play stays slow during this, these first couple of games, I really see them winning the series. hundred um, percent. Do we think that there's any, any chance that the Hawks can pull this out? Or do you think like, what, what's your prediction for this? Do you think that just the Knicks are expected to come out of this and, and, if they don't, it'll be a disappointment. I think there is a chance the Hawks pull it out, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on it. It's just if Trey Young can really carry them. I don't think that the Hawks are better offensively than the Knicks are better defensively. So if the Knicks are able to play that 110 percent that they've been playing the entire season, I think my prediction is they win in five. Wow! 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 Um, I'm an, I, I consider myself a somewhat optimistic Knicks fan, and I wouldn't even consider. Uh, them winning Coming from a net fan, yeah, I think five. I, they're just a much better team, honestly. Really? Okay, so yeah. I'm looking at FanDuel's odds right now. 
The Hawks are minus 142 to win the series. And the Knicks are plus 116, which is really surprising to me because I feel like the New York fans would pound the Knicks. But that's just between me and you. I have the Knicks winning in seven. I do believe the Hawks are a good team. They're, you have to expect one or two games from Trey Young blowing up because he's just he's a great offensive player. And then you have to expect Nate McMillan to come into play as well, who's turned this Hawks team around this past season, coming in for um, coming in uh, to a head coach for um, I forget I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head, but you don't have and you have to expect one game like that. So, for, and you have to expect the game for the Knicks offense just to be cold. So, it really, for me, it's going to seven. It's going to be a hard fall series, uh, series. And something, it's really going to be a fun series. It's really the most, to me, besides the Lakers Sun series, it's the most intriguing uh, series in the NBA right now. I also think, like, another fact that the Knicks have to take, uh, take into mind is the fact that. Trey Young is an expert at getting to the line and drawing fouls, and they're going to have to be able to limit their foul trouble early on because Trey Young, whether he flops or not, he's going to get to the line 10 times per game. And you don't want your big players to be in foul trouble early on because then the Hawks will be able to exploit their defense and score a lot more. That's something that the Knicks have to take into mind. Trey is an exceptional town, especially in his days in Oklahoma. The Knicks would have drafted him if, drafted him if he fell to them. But then instead they got Kevin Knox, but whatever. But in all, but in all seriousness, the Hawks team, they're, they have so many weapons that the Knicks really need to hone in on. They have former Nick Danilo Gallinari. They have John Collins. They have the most one of the most underrated players in the NBA, Clint Capella, who's been a rebounding menace and a defensive player of the year candidate, in my opinion. He's been overshadowed by Rudy Gobert. And they have pieces where you just really need, need to hone in on. While the Knicks do have the defensive shutdown guys, but I want to see Tom Thibodeau's game plan, like you said, for Trey Young, not trying not to foul him, trying not to, and trying to get him out of his comfort zone. All right, so let's move on to really just a crazy week for the Mets. I'm going to read you, you guys something. This is the Mets lineup from yesterday. Tell me, Morris, if you have heard of these guys, okay? If you have heard of these guys before, lead off, Jonathan VR. Yes, former Oriole, former Astro. Francisco Lindor. Former Indian, yes, of course. Cameron Mabin. Former Yankee, baby. Dominic Smith. Yeah, one of, should have been one of the MVP candidates last year. Tomas Nido. Who? Wilfredo Tovar. I, they're signing guys off the streets. Johannes Shway Fargus. No, no, no. That's not a real name. That's not a real name. I mispronounced it's it. It's Johannes Shway. Fargus. That's not a real name. I'm sorry. It's still not a real name. Khalil Lee. More realistic of a name, but still no. And Joey Lucchese. Joey Lucchese, I do not. I love how you asked Mars. Did you ask Mars because you knew I know all these guys? Yes, that's precisely why. Now, guys, 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 the Mets just put a line up below nobody's. How do you one know second, that? one second, one second, one second. I, tell you how I would happen. like, I would like to apologize. I would like to apologize to the baseball gods because I made fun of the Yankees all offseason. On this show, I made fun of the Yankees and their training staff. And the baseball gods smited me. They smited me. They said, Jack, you made fun of the Yankees 
look what I'm going to do to you, okay? If you compare that lineup with their opening day lineup, which was Kevin Pillar, Francisco Lindor, Michael Conforto, Pete Alonzo, J.D. Davis, Jeff McNeil, uh, McCann, Nimmo, and DeGrom. One player left. One player left from their opening day lineup. And the Mets are still in first place. They're still in first place. They lost yesterday on a walk-off because Rojas and what he's doing with this bullpen, abusing these guys. Really, it's, it's physical abuse. Emotional abuse of what he's doing to these guys, making them play innings after innings. The starters are going an average of 3.8 innings in the past week. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. He's pushing these injuries, uh, these relievers on the brink because of these injuries. And I don't know why he took out Lucchese yesterday, but he's, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, propagating, he's pushing these relievers into the same in, into the same place, the injured list where most of the batters are now, where most of the hitters are now. I don't know what's going on with him. If they could have just called up Jordan Yamamoto to have a regular start, five or six innings yesterday, they could have put in Lucchese for five or six innings yesterday and took him out in the fourth when he had no runs given up. These are the things, and then your bullpen's going to start giving up runs. That's why they gave up a walk-off yesterday. They're starting to give up runs. They're starting to crack because they're pitching so much. You can't have a bullpen. You can't sustain a bullpen that's pitching five to six innings a night. It doesn't work. I agree. And we said a key to the season would be how well the Mets bullpen performed. And they started off really well. But as of late, they've been just terrible. They've been blowing leads walking in, bases loaded. They, they've been doing everything that you don't want them to do. And it's a big in part to the fact that Luis Rojas is overusing them. He's taking out the pitchers early. I would have liked to see Yamamoto pitch yesterday because he's a former Marlin, and I believe in revenge games, type of thing I believe in. And also, I want to amend your lineup thing. They still have James McCann. He's just not good. He's still right. sitting there. On if, the if James McCann... And Lindor, who are the only two opening day starters that are on the team still and not on uh, on the injured list, are both hitting under 200. So yeah. I don't know how useful that is. But really, the offense has been – they scored six runs on, on Friday night in a, in a crazy win where you had um, two players in the, bottom of their tw- uh, in the bottom of the 12th have their first major league hit for you and then you win the game off of that that's huge the production that they're getting from guys that have no business being in the major leagues is is just amazing and i don't think it's sustainable for me it's kind of looks like the 2019 yankees where boone really didn't rely on his starting pitching at all which was scary and he overworked the bullpen and then coming postseason time the bullpen wasn't the same just a fact and kind of overworked Ellen Batances and overworked and just got, he overworked Zach and overworked all the heavy pieces, David Robertson, all guys that over the years Boone has overworked and he's learned this year that he has to rely on his starters. And obviously it helps that his starters are performing, but still, and setting my, one of my things, I have to send my well wishes to Kevin Pillar. He took a massive hit. I don't know how he's managing to that's scary. Some scary. I can't say the words on airways, but 
it's really scary and i'm with i wish him my my best you look at you guys saw the um the pictures of Pilar's face yes. and Pilar asked he, he to play like the next came day. Out of war. He saw the picture of Pilar's face next to LeBron crying after he gets poked in the eye and is on the floor in a basketball game. This is why it's, it's really so tough for me to watch basketball sometimes. Really so tough. So tough. When these guys cry, they get touched, and they end up on the floor. And then you watch hockey where people are punching each other in the face, checking each other into the boards. Football where people literally tackle each other onto the ground. And you have basketball. LeBron Get ready gets for touched Trae in the face tonight. and he's on the floor crying. Get ready for Trey Young tonight. The guy's an expert level flopper. He's going to do that all tonight. And just the one thing for this Mets lineup, one more thing. The hitting, I, there's one player, and this is because the team was really a power team last year. There is one player right now in this Mets lineup, one Mets player, and the Mets lineup playing today with an OPS over 700. That's not even good. OPS is on base percentage plus slugging. There's one player with an OPS over 700. And that's Jonas Refargus with 17 at-bats this year. That's the lineup that we're putting into this game. And we still have a chance to win the series. And we still uh, uh, took the series against the Atlanta Braves. And both losses in these two series were off, were off walk-offs. That's showing just how close... The Mets are just how bad the division has been so far, and the Mets are still in first place. If the Mets can pull off a victory today and, and maintain their lead in first place, this is only just going to help them in the future when they get the lineup back. Because this Mets team is going to hit. They're talented enough that they're going to hit eventually. They're going to get these guys back healthy. They're just adding games into the bank right now. These are games that will show in the record for the postseason, but these are huge games right now. Big time. You need to win divisional games especially, and no no better time to win than early in the season when the teams are both down. you got to show that you're able to pull out some games. That's what they need to do. And also, big thanks to the pitching, which has been really well, especially also on the other side of New York with the Yankees. Their pitching has been exceptionally well. Yeah, and I just wanted to move on to that. We had... This week, a huge, huge pitching game from Corey Kluber. And I've been on top of the Yankees um, for signing Kluber. I, I have been. I criticized them for how much money they gave him. I stand by that um, for giving them the $11 million contract. But against the Texas Rangers this week, um, we saw yet another no-hitter. Yet another no-hitter. And... I just thought it was a great performance by Kluber. A lot of people want to take away from these no-hitters and say that, oh, baseball's just gone uh, so far in the direction of pitching that it means nothing. I could not disagree more. I think that to see these pitching performances, to see the greatness on the mound of getting 27 straight guys out, it'll always be special. And Kluber did it. He proved me wrong. So for me, it was something special to watch because it's something the Yankees haven't done in my lifetime. The last perfect game no waiter the Yankees had was David Cohn back in 1999. So it's something we haven't done in my it hasn't been done in my life um, in my lifetime. But the whole thing with Cooper is that I told you this, Jack. I told you this when they signed him that he has the potential to be another ace-like guy. He has the potential to be a two-three guy. And 
he is coming back to a roster with Cressy and with Matt Blake as his pitching coach. He's coming back to that roster and with people he's uh, that he's familiar with back in his Cleveland days. And he, you know what? I told you this. He could be a number two beyond Cole. And so far, so good. He's looking great. So I'd like to say you were wrong. Maybe they overpaid him. I don't care. He's a number two. Yeah, and I also I hate how people are telling me that just because there's been six no-hitters this year or seven, I don't even know. It depends if you count Mad Bum, that Corey Kluber's doesn't mean as much. It means just as much when you walk one guy the entire game. You haven't pitched in basically two years, and you come back and throw a no-hitter. It means a lot. It takes a lot out of you to not allow one guy on base. You can't take away anything from that, especially given the fact that Corey Kluber's been through so much, and he comes back against his former team of one inning, and he throws a no-hitter. Guys, I agree with you. I agree with you about the sense about the no-hitters, that the fact, yeah, it's an incredible pitching performance. Yes, but no-hitters are coming too easy nowadays, meaning the batting average is down because hitters are just trying to hit home runs, so there's more likely they're getting outs. And, yes, I see your side of the point, and I probably would have agreed with you if it was, like, three no-hitters, but it's just the fact that it's six or eight. I don't even think it's due to the batting average down. It's also you have the shift coming in, and you have the advanced analytics, which gives the pitchers a much better scouting report of how to pitch. Mars, I'm really, I'm, I'm Mars, wondering. Mars, I, I can't wait. Mars, to see. when you have, when you have, okay, pitchers pitching better. Guess what? Hit better. Okay, there are options to hit. Like players have options; they could hit for average. They don't need. To hit and try to do all the launch angles, uh, bat speed, and try to get home runs. It's their fault. It's the pitchers are playing to what the what the hitters are doing, and the hitters aren't playing to what the pitchers are doing. Pitchers are throwing faster. They're they're wilder. Draw more walks. Hit the ball into play. It's not hard. If they wanted to hit, they could. It's not only that. It's the fact that when Corey Kluber is on the mound. DJ LeMayu and Glaber and Brooklyn Odor, whoever's out there, is being told stand at this exact position because Willie Calhoun is going to hit a ground ball exactly there, and it's happening. And normally that's a hit, but because they have this advanced shift on, it's much easier to throw a no-hitter. So even if the batters are putting the ball in play, they're hitting it at people because people know exactly where to stand. That's what makes it much easier. But it's within the rules of the game. It's within the rules exactly. of the game. I mean, the rules of the game they are – you, you, they got to change the rules of the game. You have to have nine players in fair play at any given time. Nine players, except for the catcher. So it's eight players in, in fair play the entire game. That's what they're doing. That's what they've always done. And it's nine player. It, it's nine players playing defense. It's one hitter. Okay? They're not covering the whole field. There's still holes being created when there's shifts. It's not like they're covering the whole field. So, yes, they see that's, that 75% of the time you hit it into where the second baseman is playing. Well, hit it somewhere else. You're a major league and batter. Also- also, Kaligashioka is given the fact that if you're pitching to Joey Gallo in the top right corner of his strike zone, every time he's going to ground out. Like, basically, he has a percentage of, you pitch here, this pitch at this moment, 99% of the time he's going to get out. So they have these advanced stats, which is going to make it so much easier for a guy who's, who's about accuracy. Yeah, like you can't, you, also, you can't say that because the hitters are using advanced stats too. And they're saying, yeah, I could strike out X amount of times. I could strike out. 180 so times in a season and hit home runs and be valuable. So that's going to yeah, no, lead to these no hitters. And that's not the pitcher's fault. 
that the hitters are exactly. deciding not to hit the ball. That's the my teams point. Teams are telling That's them you don't point. have to hit the ball. It's just making it easier for pitchers, and it shouldn't come to us, anyone as surprised that no hitters are more common nowadays, because they have they have it easier. Right, but then there's the question of is it more common versus is it as valuable? I don't think it becoming common makes it less valuable. I think it's a thrill to watch either way. If you guys, have a pitcher guys, pitching 27 outs in a row, it's valuable. And it's something to I see. Agree. No, I agree. It's not valuable, guys. It's just the, for me, I, it's, uh, it's a great pitching performance, period. That's it. Great pitching performance, period. That's the only way I can see it. No, the way I see it is if you're a real baseball fan, no real baseball. If you're not a real baseball fan, you don't enjoy a good pitching matchup. If you're a real baseball fan, you enjoy a good pitching outing. You enjoy a no-hitter, and you get just as excited for any no-hitter, whether it was this year or 10 years ago. That's the way I see it. I agree. I think it's the same thing for any sport. Like hockey, I love games where it's 0-0, and, and basketball, I love low-scoring games as well. So this week, um, this week, the Mets were faced with a lot of injuries, so I'm going to keep it topical uh, for – my fun facts with Jack. Now, in 2019, the Yankees broke the record for the most players on the injured list. Now, the question is twofold. Which team held the record before the 2019 Yankees? Which team held the record before the Yankees? And how many players did the Yankees have on the IL in 2019? Morris, you're first. So, it was a Ranger team, if I remember correctly. It was a Texas Rangers team. And how many players or how many stints on the IL? How many players? I think it was 33, if I remember correctly. But it was a definite Texas Ranger team in somewhere in the 2000s. And then... Um, it was 33 uh, players. Joe? Is he right about the Rangers? I'm not going to tell you the answer. Uh, he seemed very certain, but I'm not for the sake of not going with the same as him. I'm not that certain. I'm going to go with the Phillies. And I don't know why I remember the number being 31. I'm going to go with that. All right. So you are both wrong on both counts. Joe was closer, though. Joe was closer. Um, it was the... 2016 Dodgers, um, really? 28 players on the IL. The Yankees had 30. Joe guessed 31. Joe was the winner. This I knew, week, so I knew it was so- All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Hopefully we'll have um, – we'll see what the Knicks could do in the playoffs, and we'll have our reactions on that. Thanks for listening.